Welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Onfair podcast. My name is Lewis McClellan. I'm the editor of the Digital Monetary Institute here at Onfair, and I'm delighted to be joined today by David Creer, Global DLT Crypto and E-Money Lead at GFT, and Alexander Feeney, Managing Partner at Chavanet Advisors. So we've got a really interesting topic to discuss today, Universal Digital Payments Network. Digital payments is a topic that uh, OMFIF, and particularly in the DMI, we've been very focused on for, for a long time. You know, the, the inexorable rise of digital currencies globally has really brought uh, a proliferation of the digital payments initiatives each seeking to deliver faster, cheaper, and more efficient payments to end users. So one of the major challenges to solve for in digital currency payments is that of interoperability. Uh, enabling the transferring and swapping of different currencies underpinned by different protocols. The Universal Digital Payments Network, or UDPN, is one initiative in the digital currency payment space that solves the interoperability challenge and then goes further to differentiate itself from both new and incumbent approaches to cross-border payments. David, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background on the project, when you got involved in it and uh, you know how long uh, this in, in in the office. Sure. So the um, the initial concept started maybe uh, two um, years ago. Um, so there's a group of the initial, let's say, uh, project um, members, uh, GFT and Chavanet were part of that group, along, alongside others who are working with us at this point in time, and will be part of the initial alliance membership, shall we say. Um, and we were there from the very beginning. And that was uh, a good two uh, to three years ago. And I think the, the reason that the project got started was we saw that there was uh, many different digital currencies, um, C- either CBDCs or stable coins, but but definitely CBDCs that were going to be coming onto the market in the, maybe the next five or 10 years. Um, and like a lot of people, we saw that all of these CBDCs were being designed uh, either using different technologies um, or using uh, different configurations or setups um, or even distribution models, right? And because of that, there was going to be no one CBDC or stablecoin or technology that, that that kind of you know ruled them all, and no global network for these kind of digital currency systems. And that was the that was the reason why we got started. And I suppose my role here has been very much on the on the technical uh, level. So GFT is a as a technology consultancy service provider have been brought in to basically help build um, and also give a lot of advice about how architecture should be, um, how uh, different technology choices, all of that kind of thing. Excellent. Yeah, it's a really important project, I think. As you say, we're seeing a lot of uh, very exciting digital currency projects that, that offer a lot of efficiency and transferring within their own network. But as as these different uh, projects all come to fruition, we're going to be left in, in a similar position to where we are now, where the job of sending currency between these networks is, is still very difficult. I wanted to ask a little bit about decentralization to start off with. In these various digital currency projects, you know, they're, they're decentralized to, to greater or, or less extent you know some people are taking very different approaches there and i understand that udpn is is really focusing on having a decentralized operation and governance system so can you talk about why you felt like that was a a valuable goal to pursue and and how you've managed to achieve it with with this project yeah lewis maybe i'll uh i'll take this one incumbent payment projects really built around what's called a hub and spoke model where you generally have one entity that uh, that sits in the middle um, and you see that with you know the in- incumbent interbank payment systems of today but also in in many of the the new 
digital payment initiatives that are coming into the public sphere. There's a couple of, of, of challenges that this hub and spoke model present. One is obviously, you know, it means that there's a, a centralization of, of control, right? So, you know, you could exclude entities or, or, or countries or, or what have you. Whereas if you provide a decentralized approach, there are a number of, of different benefits here, including, you know, the enhanced uh, security that you have. So you're no longer dependent on uh, one particular entity for handling payments. You actually have, you know, multiple different entities that in UDPN's case run different validator nodes. So we're starting with an initial quorum of, of eight validator nodes on the UDPN network, but we expect that to grow to to 16 and, and 24 nodes in, in very close succession in the next couple of years. And with the growth of those nodes, you're just providing greater decentralization of control. So no one organization involved in UDPN has any more control uh, than any other organization. And the way that management and, and governance and, and the operations of the network take place is really in a decentralized manner where each of the alliance members that uh, that operate validator nodes for the UDPN each have an equal uh, vote in uh, in all the key topics related to day-to-day to -day management and, and governance of the network. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I see the value of a system like that. Uh... We talked a little bit earlier about the, the interoperability aspect, um, which is obviously a very important feature. Can you talk a little bit about how UDBN achieves this sort of swapping of different digital currencies between networks? I mean, I, we've seen projects, you know, offering that sort of solution, particularly in cryptocurrencies and, you know, with bridges and so on. And it strikes me that these are often the very vulnerable links where, where hacks and losses have occurred. So it's obviously quite a difficult uh, challenge. I'd be interested to hear how you guys have achieved it for, uh, for the UDPN. So as David mentioned at the start, digital currencies are, are being built using multiple different protocols, regardless of whether we're talking about CBDCs or, or stable coins and protocols which, which work in different ways and use different technologies and configurations. And so therefore they're not very easily interoperable, so to speak. Um, and even if you were able to engineer interoperability between, let's say, two currency pairs, it wouldn't be scalable if you think that, you know, hundreds of digital currencies will will come onto the market in, in the coming years. So within the, the context of UDPN, um, we we have transaction nodes. So UDPN is built on using four different node types. We have the validator nodes, which I mentioned earlier on, which are operated by alliance members. We have transaction nodes, which I'll get to in a second. We have business nodes, uh, which provide really a gateway for business IT systems to connect to the network. And what we have something called a transaction audit and reporting node or TAR node, which grants access to auditors and, and regulators who want to be able to uh, to to monitor transactions on on UDPN. So just coming back to the transaction nodes, transaction nodes are operated exclusively by commercial banks or licensed money service providers, and and they really provide the interoperability uh, element to to the network. So transaction nodes provide different capital pools. So you might have bank in Germany, for example, and that bank 
might provide a capital pool or two capital pools in two different euro denominated stablecoins, for example. They also provide the uh, gateway to the currency system for in the future, let's say, the digital euro. So interoperability is, is, is enabled through these different transaction nodes, which are operated by uh, commercial banks and either through the, the gateway to the currency system that they provide or through the different liquidity or capital pools that they operate for different stable coins. This is what allows the uh, essentially the, the swapping or interoperability between these different currency protocols. I see. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. That makes sense. So one of the key things that uh, people look for digital currencies to deliver is a more efficient payments network compared to uh, the status quo. Uh, can you talk about how you've delivered that with, with UDPM? Yeah, so, so maybe I'll, I'll field that. So so here we're going to be using um, CBDCs and, and stable coins for, for the payment. So when, you, when you're using, um, you know, fiat-backed payments, it's often the case that really we... Um, payments, although they seem to settle immediately, um, they're actually taking you know a day potentially for the bank to actually issue the payment and settle them. And the settlement costs are also quite high because of the fact that you have intermediary banks um, that are involved, um, and therefore um, any uh, let's say that like cross-border payments require quite a lot of reconciliations. There's a lot of netting. It's quite a complicated um, procedure in reality. What we try and do here is we try and simplify this um, by uh, still having um, uh, potentially an intermediary bank, um, but simplifying the process. And so if it can be done within the same bank, then that's fine. You don't need to do this. If we need a secondary bank to be able to make the swap between two different coins, um, then we would potentially have a secondary bank involved. But the but the process is a, is a lot more streamlined um, and therefore the transfer process would take a lot less we're talking about minutes here at most um depending on the cbdc or, or the stable coin that we're talking about so it depends on the network which is being used rather than rather than uh you know the typical thing of the day really underneath because when when people are making transfers um, via their bank account it may seem immediate but actually the bank has to therefore make the transfer and takes the responsibility and the, and the risk of that so we're kind of i suppose we're providing a let's say a near real-time payments platform um that would be able to basically provide payments in a lot of different currencies, make it easier to be able to onboard to many, many different currencies. So just because you have access to uh, one currency via your bank does not mean that you might that you can't access different other currencies that are now available to your bank uh, via, via their business node on, on the network. And those currencies are now have the support to be able to uh, communicate with other transaction nodes and therefore make swaps between different types of currencies if that's what's required by, by your transaction. So put it bluntly, we're, we're basically speeding up the, the transaction time and we are also making more currencies available to perform your transactions in. So making it easier for people to be able to do transactions in the currency that suits them. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, I see. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the onboarding process uh, for, for this. I think uh, that was kind of an important step for, for people to understand and how various stakeholders within the financial system sort of fit into it. 
Um, I understand that the UDPN is is based in in DLT, but of the various digital currency projects that are that are in progress, not all of them are are going to use distributed systems like that. Uh, can they still plug into the to the UDPN as well? So so we we use what we call distributed identifiers um, within the UDPN, and these distributed identifiers are identifying either a business um, that wants to make payments or an individual that wants to be able to make payments, um, depending on who it is who basically wants to make the make the transfer. These distributed identifiers, um, when they're used inside the UDPN, are basically a user ID. Um, this user ID has uh, information about the transactions that the, that the user has uh, partaken, so which currencies they have available to them, how they connect their, their wallet to their user ID, the transfers that they have completed, um, all of those kinds of things. The KYC element of this um, and the onboarding is done by the business IT system, which onboards the users or the companies to the business nodes. So th this is done, this can be integrated into any KYC platform that you want to. And this is really up to the business IT system to ensure that they are providing uh, correct KYC for their clients in the same way that they will be doing with any kind of banking application. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's down to the business IT system, the business node operator to make sure that the onboarding is done correctly. Once the onboarding is done correctly, then they can, then they can link their, their, their digital currency wallets to their distributed ID, and then they can make transactions on the network. And that's more or less the model of how it works. And it's a very flexible model, and that's the reason that we cho chose to do this. And it also uses some of the verifiable cr credentials, distributed ID, uh, which is uh, by the W3 protocol, which is you know, part of the, which which kind of fits in with all of the things around verified and verifiable credentials and, and distributed identifications as part of a kind of standard format. So it should be very easy for third-party applications to be able to integrate with that because we are using W3 standards. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And okay, so can you talk me through the the role that the, the sort of existing stakeholders play? So financial institutions, central central banks, commercial banks. How do they uh, uh, plug into this kind of system? Sure, maybe I'll take this one. So as I mentioned before, you we have this uh, this four node approach with UDPN, uh, where you have validator nodes, transaction nodes, business nodes, and the TAR node. Commercial banks can actually operate three of the nodes. Uh, so they can come in as a, a validator node, so which makes them uh, an alliance member and really gives them a seat at the table in terms of helping to, to manage and, and govern the network. You know, they do have to, to operate a validator node, so there are some costs attributable to that. However, you know, while there are, there are costs for running the validator node, they also share uh, equally with the other alliance members and validator node operators in uh, the network fees which are generated uh, for the passing of, of, of messages uh, through, the, through the network. They can then, as I mentioned previously, operate the transaction node. So if they operate a transaction node that then uh, gives them the opportunity to uh, to earn transaction uh, fees, but they can also make FX fees uh, from the swaps, which are enabled between uh, the different uh, capital pools, which I mentioned, or uh, the currency gateway to the uh, to the CBDC uh, systems. Commercial banks would probably also want to operate a business node. Uh, business node again is the gateway to the UDPN. 
for business IT systems. So if you thought about a commercial bank, if they operate a business node, it allows them to grant access to their uh, their commercial banking clients, for example. Um, and for this, there are there are service fees. So those are the those are the different roles that uh, that commercial banks can can play in the network. Central banks, uh, UDPN. Uh, absolutely provides an opportunity. There's the opportunity for central banks to operate a, a validator node themselves, which would also give them uh, the opportunity to launch and distribute their CBDCs on UDPN. So some central banks we envision in the, in the coming years would see UDPN as a distribution tool uh, for their central bank digital currencies. Excellent. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, David, you mentioned you know speeding up transfers and and you know broad, broadening the the range of currencies that, that people can access. Alexander, you've mentioned a couple of other uh, services as well. Can you give me maybe a slightly more comprehensive look at the different services that become available through the through the UDPM? So, so the the core services are um, are transfers um, and swaps. Those are the core services that we have at this point in time. But on top of transfers and swaps, and obviously you know the creation of DIDs, for example. Um, we'll be able to allow um, other, let's say, the business uh, nodes, so the enterprise business nodes, um, to be able to create um, what we call third-party applications. Um, and the way they do this is via a third-party smart contract. Um, so they'll be able to create these third-party applications, and this, uh, and there will be a review process by the UDPN Alliance, and then they will be accepted, and then they will be available either to the business node. Um, which uh, put them on. So they could be a private application for the users of the business node, um, or they could be available to the other business nodes uh, and even monetized as well if they um, if people want them uh, to be monetized. And it's really open to, um, to uh, different um, applications. So, you know, we're starting now with, um, with POCs, with different financial services institutions um, on uh, probably the more kind of, let's say, like the regulatory areas, such as, for example, travel rule, uh, processing or, or bank issued stable coins, these kinds of things. Um, but it's it's also open to some of the things, uh, you know, some of the kind of more technical things like, for example, uh, gasless transactions on public chain uh, based stable coins or auditable uh, and creating auditable digital currency uh, transaction service. But really, it's open to a lot of different things like uh, lo- lots of different uh, areas, really. It's, it's very much up, up to the businesses uh, and the financial services institutions, the direction of travel that they want to be able to take with this, and then um, bringing this to the table um, and uh, deploying the applications onto the network. Um, so as much as we're starting with a few different uh, use cases, um, some of those are ones that I just suggested now, but other ones as well. Um, there's quite a few different uh, exciting ideas that we'll be dealing with in the future as well. Um, and there's no real limitation into how this uh, network can be used. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds like a very flexible tool. Um, there was one issue that I wanted to to dig into a little bit more to to uh, understand how how it works for your network, and that is with, with stable coins. Regarding the KYC issue, if I were to issue a stable coin, I can ensure that I've done KYC on anyone that I issue that stable coin to, but then they can send it to other people that I may not have done KYC on. And at that point, uh, you know, they're using an instrument that I've issued and uh, I don't know who they are. Um, can you talk a little bit about whether that's a, a problem or a vulnerability or and, and, and how the UDPN uh, can address that? So this is this is really just the nature of, um, let's say, like crypto um, assets. Um, so with 
with uh, with CBDCs, this is not necessarily going to be the case to start off with. Um, so this is more of a thing with stable coins. Um, and but with with crypto assets, um, once you send a stable coin to somebody else, um, there's no way of uh, that other person blocking it based on KYC. It just arrives in the wallet, and, and that's that, right? So. The way um, that you can approach this is you can build in a travel rule um, facility um, and you can either um, build travel rule facilities based on existing networks, like the ones that the uh, VASPs have in place at this point in time. Um, you can use, uh, you can build on top of those, um, which is most likely what, what we're going to do. Um, or you can use um, some kind of, let's say, uh, accelerator, like something like Notabene, which links into all of those different ones or you can build in some of your own open source solution to that where you're basically double checking using a network i.e., using the udpn to be able to make sure that the um the information regarding the person that you're going to be sending it to is already provided by the um other by the by the receiver um when you're sending out the information so by the fact that we have the approvals by the business nodes to say that they have provided kyc for the individuals that are being uh that are basically sending and receiving the information then we also we have that in place and that can be used therefore to be able to provide more let's say uh security around uh travel rule network processing but this is this is all part of the um additional uh, use case um, that's not the kind of core of the UDPM, but can be applied um, to provide the travel rule, um, uh, let's say, uh, processing uh, for, for, for transactions. Yeah, if, if I may add to that, it's important to note that UDPN, like it doesn't touch money, we also don't touch personal information, right? Um, I think that's that's uh, something important that, that distinguishes uh, UDPN from from other projects that are out there. Yeah, so so at its core, UDPN is a messaging system rather than you know a settlement system or a, or a KYC yeah. system. And we can plug into these these settlement systems or the KYC systems, um, but at its core, it's the real value that it brings is um, is uh, access to the digital money pools and the, and the messaging that's required to 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 make sure that people get access to this easily. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I think it's uh, but you know, providing a framework that can uh, help people address these KYC concerns around stablecoins or or crypto assets is uh, is something that we've certainly heard a lot of people uh, looking for. Uh, it's it's certainly a concern in, in the public sector. So good to hear that there's a means of addressing that. Um, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, guys. This has been uh, uh, a really fascinating discussion. It's a really interesting uh, topic, and I'm sure we'll hear more about the, the UDPN from you guys going forward. Thanks. Uh, thanks for being here, Alex, and thanks for being here, David. Thank you, Lewis. Thanks for having us, Lewis. So thank you once again to our guests. Thanks to you, the audience, for tuning in. Um, happy New Year. Uh, happy 2023. Do check out the OMFIF website, omfif.org. Uh, to see our commentaries, upcoming events, particularly the DMI Symposium in May, which will have a lot of really interesting discussions uh, taking place there uh, with some very, very important uh, people for, for the industry. And uh, follow us on our social media, Twitter and LinkedIn, and check out our website for commentaries, news, reports, details of our upcoming events, recordings of past events, and of course, uh, these podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. Happy 2023. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the OMFIF podcast.